Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Hey, Monday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky in the studio. Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey. We are coming to you live from SEC Media Days, the Hyatt Regency in Hoover, Alabama, which uh, until yesterday, Rippey did not realize was, hey, we're not actually in Birmingham. I don't know. It's just a suburb. It's the greater Birmingham area. I had a rough drive in. It was raining a bunch. There were a lot of standstills. So once I got here, I just didn't really know what was uh like, I didn't realize, like, how close we were to, like, the baseball park. Yeah, like, really close to yeah. where the SEC baseball tournament happens. Appreciate the heads up on that. Well, I mean, I didn't know you needed a heads up. If I thought, you had said ahead of time, like, I, I don't know anything, can you help me, I would have I jumped in. So just assume that. All right, going forward. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing needs of any kind, Mississippi Land Bank can help. They've been financing land and all that goes along with it for a little over 100 years, which is a nice way of saying they know what they're doing. They know what they're talking about. At Mississippi Land Bank, if you've got land financing needs, buying a piece of property, or perhaps you are uh, refinancing an existing loan. Maybe it's a production loan you need. Whatever it is, they can help. MSLandBank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Day one of SEC Media Days, Missouri, Florida, and LSU, the teams that are here in Hoover for day one. Dan Mullen just finished up on the uh, on the main stage. Oh, yeah. Uh, a little bit later, you've got Ed Ogeron from the uh, big main media room. That's the one that they uh, they carry the broadcast on uh, the SEC Network. And uh, Barry Odom from uh, Missouri has already spoken. He was the first one after the commissioner. That thing started with Greg Sankey uh, earlier today, and it wasn't one of those days where he dropped off like this – earth-shattering, uh, earth this is the future of college football, it's the future of the SEC. None of that happened, but there were some interesting things that, that he said today uh, as it pertains to officiating and some of what the league is doing to uh, try and help with transparency and try to continue to improve officiating. Uh, so some, uh, some interesting stuff happening here, I think. Uh, and we're going to try and get to it and cover a lot of it this afternoon. What's up, boys? Orky, how was your weekend? Weekend was good. Just uh, sat through a lot of intermittent rain just off and on. So I got the baby's room kind of ready, at least put it in order. Um, Got the crib on the way, so it's coming together. And I read a lot. So it was a really, like, adult, wholesome weekend, which is out of character for me. Wait, you read adult material? No, I just did adult. I read baby books. Like, I, I, I pretended to be an adult this weekend. I got his room ready and ordered the crib and all that stuff. Went shopping for, like, aesthetics in the baby's room, and then I read a bunch of baby books. So, like, I'm I'm Mr. Adult this weekend. 
I don't know how much more or how many more baby books you should read. Once you read one, you're good. That's enough. Well, well I mean, there are varying opinions out there, but there's something to be said about not taking everybody else's opinion on how to raise your own kid. That's a true story. Well, I need to know, like, the basic stuff. As silly as it sounds, I mean, they're going to hand me a child at the end of October, and then we're going to go home, and then what? It's that kind of stuff that I just I need to know. You know, how much do I feed him? How much should he sleep? And my wife will obviously help me, but those kind of things I just I simply don't have the answer to. So that's, how much that's less of can like... Can he eat a whole steak? Can I don't he, know. Can he fetch? <laughs> can he fetch? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, your, your, your son is going to do three things for about, I don't know, six, eight, maybe ten months. We can only say two of them on the air. Uh, why is that? Well, the third one is a curse word. Well, you don't have to use that. There, there are other. He's going to eat. Yeah. He's going to sleep. Yeah. And he's going to poop. Well, that's that's true. I do all three of those things. Yeah. But you can take care of yourself afterwards in all all those instances. Cook your own food. Find your own bed. So, so Borky, you need up after yourself. You, you need to be able to uh, put put little man in a onesie and swaddle him and be able to rock or get him down for sleep. You need to be able to change a diaper and you need to be able to fix bottles. It's not hard. I did it. <laughs> that actually, Borky, that, that should actually provide you perhaps a, uh, a little bit of comfort. If Hey Dad could do it. Yeah, I keep trying to tell myself that. There's a commercial there somewhere, right? Exactly. Yeah, uh, it's uh, probably not a terrible thing to uh, tell yourself. Uh, anything happening so far today that has been of interest to either of the two of you? Rippy, Hey Dad? I think we were both upset that the athletic didn't approach us. Evidently, other than that, it's been a pretty uh, straightforward first day here at SEC Media Days. Uh, we've talked, seen some old friends, met some new ones, I guess. And yeah, I've just spent most of the day working on a longer story that hopefully we'll get done by tomorrow. And then we've got some stuff. Obviously, the real stuff kind of for us begins tomorrow and Wednesday. This story you've been working on—it must be like three hundred thousand words. No, I've just had really bad like writer's block on how to like finish it and then i want to get a quote from uh like i want to talk to matt luke about it so that okay. kind of makes sense now hopefully it will be done by tomorrow you need Allegedly. any help from me or are you good no unless you got another red bull um i mean you said you couldn't finish it i didn't know if like you needed help with the end n- no it's it's i say finish it like I, it's it's was harder to start than finish I well guess, i'm curious right will it. you tease it oh yeah no it's uh i i talked to uh I talked to Sinquez Golson and Anthony Offord on the challenges of playing two sports in college. They had two different kind of routes. Anthony did the pro ball, but football thing, Sinquez tried to do both. So just like, you know, with Ole Miss having two dudes that are going to attempt to do it, I thought it would be interesting to kind of get their thoughts on the day-to-day challenges. That's Jerry and Ely and John Rice Plumley. Correct. Um, but nothing else today. I had another weird Uber experience we could get to eventually. Uh, what, last night? Uh, no, no, no. This was Saturday night. Oh, okay. After that golf tournament, I, I don't know that we have any great reason to uh, to wait. Your, your Uber stories seem to be uh, fascinating. So I uh, I got in this. Uh, uh, we had we got in the golf t- tournament Saturday. It got washed out Sunday, but like I was taking an Uber to a buddy's house, and we were headed to Chuckers on the reservoir. And this is like your go-to spot now, right? My friends like going there. It's not bad. At, like, it wouldn't be my first choice. Fair but, enough. You know. Fair um, enough. But this, uh, so we get in, we split up into two Ubers because there was a bunch of us. So I was in the last Uber, and I just happened to be the first person to walk outside when the guy got there. And I noticed, like, 
Like, I noticed, like, hair and some shoulders in the shotgun seat. I was like, oh, he's got a passenger, so I'll get in the back. Come to realize, I, uh, there was not a passenger. It was a gigantic Chewbacca mask and suit that was just sitting in the shotgun seat of this wait, car. Wait, what? Chewbacca, the Star Wars thing, the big furry thing. He's a thing. Wookie. Yes, no, I'm, I'm aware of what Chewbacca is. Thank you. Who, this yeah. was Who a, Chewbacka It was in the, this big old mask Who, was in the what, front whatever. seat of this guy's car. And the, the, the most astounding part about this whole thing is he doesn't move the suit or the mask. He's like, you guys are double buckling back there. Like, Chewbacca's here to stay. So we he said that? <laughs> I mean, not, not literally, but, like, that's kind of the vibe. He's like, yeah, this, this thing's not moving. Um, so we all crammed in the back while Chewbacca rode up front in the Subaru. My first reaction, I was like, gosh, this Okay, what kind of vehicle are we talking about? Um, it was some kind of SUV. I think it was like a Chevy SUV. It wasn't the Millennium Falcon. But, like, it, I, was, I literally thought it was a person at first, and then when I realized it, I was like, God, this guy's on drugs. We're probably not going to get there safely. But then I realized he's a big Star Wars fan. Did you ask him if he was a big Star Wars fan? I did. Or, no, I didn't. I got a buddy of mine behind me was kind of feeling himself at that point, kind of condescending, like, you big Star Wars guy? And uh, he threw it back at him. He said, no duh. But what, what, was, what was your first clue? <laughs> exactly. So that was an interesting Uber. He just didn't want you guys you sitting Ubers? in the front seat. Probably, but I feel like there's other ways of doing that than putting gigantic furry mask up there. What, like locking the door? Um, or just being like, hey, I'd prefer you didn't sit up here. Did you give him a, uh, a star rating? I didn't call this one, um, so I probably would have. Like, he wasn't a bad, he's a nice guy. It's a cool ride, but I feel like that's an interesting move. So how many of their, how many passengers? Five? five. So there, there were five of you. So you went three across the back, and then somebody had to get in the backpack? Like I think, the trunk yeah, I think space? we just squeezed three across in a two-back-seater. Like, it was, the back was only a two-seater, but it was a three because we had Chewbacca. I don't think I've had these uh, these Uber experiences. Maybe I'm not as frequent a user of Uber. Um, no, just take a couple Ubers with me. I promise something weird will happen. There you go. Uh, Sports Talk Mississippi. C Spire text line is open to you, 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. As we broadcast live from SEC Media Days. I mentioned a second ago, Commissioner spoke earlier. Is there anything that he said that, that stood out? To either of you guys earlier today? Atlanta and Nashville. Atlanta and Nashville, obviously, but the SEC officiating Twitter feed, the uh, the mentions are already glorious on their one tweet that they've sent out. And oh, really? Uh, oh, yes. Yes. I, I, I followed the account, but I've not followed up to uh, to see what it is. Yeah, it's, 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 it's not good. It's a lot of carnage, as you might imagine. Uh, so we'll see how that, that Twitter feed's not going to do well. Um, we applaud the effort. Uh, by the SEC of trying to be um, transparent when it comes to officiating and how they are going about things. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. You remember when uh, John Cohen and Ross Bjork were going to have to go meet with SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey? Well, apparently that happened. Greg Sankey talked about it today. We'll play that audio for you when we come back at the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Sports Talk Mississippi, right here on Super Talk Mississippi.
Back in Hoover, Sports Talk Mississippi will be here all week for SEC Media Days, the SEC football kickoff. Richard Cross, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott, Riffy Borky in the studio. Glad to have you along this afternoon. You realize it was only 50 days ago that we were here for the baseball uh, SEC baseball yeah, tournament? That sounds about right. And you just kind of blink and you're back and you blink again. And we are at the start of football season. Missouri, Florida, and LSU are all here today. Let's jump in and hear a little bit about um, what Greg Sankey, or some of what Greg Sankey had to say. Uh, I think Parrish Alford was the one who asked the question. Right after, it was in fact the first question that Greg Sankey got. It was um, after Sankey had kind of finished his state of the SEC address. He takes some questions and... Parrish Alford says, you know, after the Egg Bowl, it was uh, explained that uh, Ross Bjork and John Cohen were going to have to uh, come and meet with you. Did that meeting happen? When did it happen? Where did it happen? And what did you discuss? And this is what Greg Sankey had to say. Actually, it wasn't defined as fighting, as you remember. It was flagrant personal fouls, just to be technical on the rule. And there is a difference. Yes, Ross, uh, John and I had uh, a really healthy conversation in early May. At a meeting of our athletics directors, we took some time at the end of one day. Both shared their perspectives, both concerns and ideas for how we can move through football games without that type of uh, negative activity. Uh, We've obviously had a change in the athletics director, Ole Miss. Keith and I have talked, and I I think we've had what I would describe as healthy conversations with the focus always being to move through these contests without those types of conflicts. All right, that's a bunch of words. He didn't say anything. Said it wasn't a fight. Yeah. Uh, I think Parrish asked a question that had fighting in it, and he corrected him. No, it was actually a couple of uh, flagrant fouls not fighting and that there is a difference. It was a fight. I wonder what the the meeting between A&M and LSU after the incident, you know, two days later. When there was an actual fight where actually somebody got actually punched? That is correct. Yeah, I don't know. Do you think a meeting was justified between the athletics directors and the commissioner? No. Satan Ole Miss? Yeah. It doesn't sound like there was a meeting, though. It sounds like he just took an opportunity where everybody was in the same place just to say something. But the original press release, if you remember, was a call to the principal's office, and what he described was not that. Uh, yeah, Borky nailed it. I don't think it was a real just like, hey, we're going to meet. Pretty sure. Uh, hey, guys, let, let, let's sit down and talk for a second. Uh, and, yeah. and so everybody gets a chance to say their piece, and everybody pretends like. Did he say they met in person, or did they just talk? Yeah, he said them? it was at the end of the spring meetings when okay. they were in Dallas. So they were all there. So they were all there. So anyway. it, wasn't, it wasn't the call. Actually, the person, actually it wasn't, you got to come to Birmingham and meet with me. It's, we're already going to be here. Let's talk. Yeah, it wasn't the spring meetings. It was when they had their AD meetings earlier in May. I think they do that in, um, oh, somewhere. Oh goodness, where is it? Is it Amelia Island where they uh, they go? I think I don't. I've never been invited, so I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, some fancy hotel, and they did that because at that point Ross was still the Ole Miss athletics director. If they just waited a couple of more weeks, it would have been completely useless. It was already completely useless. Yeah. No one got detention. Is there is anything going to change? No. No. Uh, Would you argue so or funny. agree with if I said that things will pr- continually get a little bit better every year considering who are the head coaches are now versus who they were? This is the first year without Mullen and Freeze. And that's what I was about to say. Was It's sort of funny because going into that, you remember, going into that week, we talked, well, you weren't here, but we talked a lot about how 
it had dialed itself down and how Moorhead and Luke had sort of taken the focus off of sure. it and, and, and all this, and then that happened. Well, the players are well, still the same. I think yeah. both can – yeah, well, yeah, we nailed it. I think that will happen and will continue to happen, but that was just kind of the leftover, you know, from 17 and everything else before that. But honestly, like – if what, what if I make if a, you're ranking the top ugly moments in a rivalry, not just that one, just anyone? That's very low on the list, right? I mean, yeah. that was that was relatively minor. Yeah, I don't disagree with you. I will say that for three years, the last three years, maybe the last four years, it's been trending in the direction of something bad happening, though. Yeah, because yeah. it's gotten worse. It, it's just it, you it's like every it was, single play. I was surprised you watch there wasn't a game. ball in seventeen. Yeah, I was you know, about after, to say that after DK does the, the little thing in the end zone there. I don't want to go too far into where that. he hiked his leg. Where he the, hiked his leg. The yeah. hostility. And felt a, like AJ it, was it, into it with the crowd. There, you you felt like something was going to happen at seventeen, and it didn't. And then, like I said, this year I thought, okay, well, it's it's probably done, and then it wasn't. I think it's a. It, I don't know. The fire was not at its hottest point last year when it happened. Right. It was in seventeen. Yeah. What if I made an educated prediction? I'm listening. That the Egg Bowl trophy has seen the bright lights of inside the stadium for the last time for a while. That's an educated prediction? Slightly. Would you would you believe that? Would you buy that? I've just never been one to get riled up over an inanimate object and who you, grabs you, it. You haven't. But the whole, I mean, going back to when C.J. Johnson was at, at Ole Miss and, like, got in a track stance on the sideline waiting for the seconds to tick off so he could go sprinting toward there, the whole get the trophy paraded around the field, dance in the middle of the field thing with it, what if that turned into a locker room celebration as opposed to an on-field celebration? It would be interesting. I know in most other rivalries you have that. I mean, I know Paul Bunyan's axe is one I always think of, and that, that thing is actually – Held on the uh, the opposing team's sideline. So if you if Wisconsin has won it, they have the axe. Yeah. And then if Minnesota wins that game, they got to go to the Wisconsin sideline to grab the axe. And it seems like getting an axe is a bad idea. Yeah, well, it does, but, axe it, but it's never. To my bad. knowledge, has never br- broken down into a brawl. It's and, never been swung. Uh, to my knowledge, no. So I don't know. I, they shouldn't change the trophy to anything with sharp edges anytime. No, no, I didn't say should, change should, the trophy. Should I it just, be a thing where if the visiting team wins, it's in the locker room, you can let the home team have its moment? Because uh, that seems like it's less less opportunity for, for problems. I mean, I guess so, but why not just I get it, but put it in the locker room? Because you like to have the fans be part of the celebration. Yeah, why? Because, because they've always done it that way? Because fans, fans can like, still celebrate? I guess. It's I a trophy. I'm just saying. I still say the ultimate boss move, and obviously I'm coming at it from an, ulti- uh, an Ole Miss perspective, you know, whichever side pulled it off. Uh, I don't think I see Mississippi State going this route. Honestly, I don't see Ole Miss going this route. But winning the game and then just ignoring the trophy and just leaving it there would be the ultimate. That's ah, never going to happen. No, I know it's not, but I'm saying that would be the the just absolute the biggest. civil conflict route. Boss move. <laughs> I mean, whatever. You, you don't like that idea at no, all? No, I'm not a fan of that. The trophy means something. There's no reason to say no, it doesn't. No. It's a plastic trophy. It's, it's, it's not, not plastic. It's not there plastic. are some people okay, in the press whatever. box that would have their collective heads explode if they watched a team walk off the field without grabbing that trophy. But again, it's a trophy. Who, like, who cares? I, it, that's the my fans point. Care. It, the team cares. Then throw it into the stands. Let the fans touch the it. The team cares. <laughs> Like, go, go to the SEAL building right now. Did, that when did you, you just walk, go with touch it and lick it and whatever, stuff? It's, a, I, the, it's the, not the, ice the cream, Joel. The bizarre fascination or, uh, with, like, like, 
inanimate objects like that is just bizarre to me. It's a tr- it's a trophy. You get it for winning the game. But it's not even a cool trophy. It's an egg. It doesn't matter. Minnesota and Michigan give each other a pig. But the axe is cool. The axe is cool. Well, well somebody's got the victory bell where they like ran to the, was it is That's it USC Duke and, and UCLA, isn't it? No, no. I think it's Duke and North Carolina where they like went and spray painted the bell on the other team's sideline well, yeah. before they even left the field. I, I I don't know about that. I know it gets changed every uh it gets changed every, every when they have a uh, a winner or a loser. You know, if Duke wins and the next year North Carolina wins, it's a different color. I enjoyed so. the leaving the trophy idea. I think that would be hilarious. Okay, ceasefire text line six zero one eight seven nine four three nine five. Richard, I like you, but why should the fans be able to celebrate with their team? Is the most unintelligent question I've ever heard. I wasn't saying that fans shouldn't be able to celebrate. I was saying. It's a trophy, and if the team wants to stay and jump around on the – it's not like the fans can really celebrate with you anyway, other than – I mean, we've gotten to the point where if fans get on the field, it's like a $100,000 fine. Right. So well, I'm not saying I they mean, come on the field, separation but the, the parade around the stadium is, celebrate. is something that the fans enjoy. I'm just telling you, I think that that oblong football egg-shaped trophy mm-hmm. has seen the bright lights of the stadium – for the last time for a while. Sounds like you have a piece of information that we don't have, but I have a hard time. I feel like you know something. I have a hard time. uh, Not that I don't not not believe you. I can't talk. That was a quadruple negative. But like, you you, you don't can't not believe me. It's not that I don't believe what you're saying. I just have a hard time thinking with as much as people make of that trophy, it not being inside the stadium next year. I didn't say it wouldn't be inside the stadium. Particularly when it's what. I didn't say it wouldn't be on the field, the whatever. Yeah, Particularly no. when the game the next year is hosted by the school that already has it. Like yeah. that just seems like an. Im- I don't know. You know something I don't. We'll you- see. We'll see. Uh, you can text the show 601-879-4395. C Spire text line. C Spire customer inspired. We are scheduled to visit Will Salmon coming up a little bit later this afternoon. He writes for the Athletic and uh, covers the Florida Gators. Used to be in the state of Mississippi with Clarion Ledger, covered Mississippi State, now with the Florida Gators, or with the Athletic, covering the Florida Gators. Interesting season coming up for Dan Mullen and Florida. A lot of expectation, and that's a word that's being thrown around about multiple teams going into this season. In fact, two of the three teams that are here, maybe all three teams that are here today to start SEC Media Days, a lot of expectations. Are they the right expectations? Are they unfounded? We'll get into that coming up a little bit later this afternoon in the Renaissance Bank studio, Renaissance Bank, understanding you. You guys mentioned in a second ago, we just kind of glossed over and moved on. They, uh, the commissioner, when he talked earlier today, announced that next year, Media Days will go back to Atlanta, which is where it was last year, and kind of be hosted again by the College Football Hall of Fame. And then the following year, it is going to Nashville. You like that? Yeah, I'm fine. I, I was I was surprised going back to Atlanta. There had been a lot of rumors that Dallas was going to be the city that was named to go to first, and I'd heard St. Louis as well. Yeah. But uh, Atlanta and Nashville it is. I, I think Dallas is still kind of out there as a possibility right now. The Big 12 does their media day in Dallas. And I don't know if it's you're maybe kind of – not that you're seeding that territory, but it's like why would you double well, up in the Especially this week when all of these media days are on the same week for whatever reason. Yeah. 
Well, and so. you've got the ACC in Charlotte, the SEC in Birmingham, and the Big 12 in Dallas. I guess the Big 10's in Chicago. Chicago, I believe, yeah. Really doesn't make sense for them to do it anywhere other than Chicago, yeah. I would think, unless they just want to move it around for the sake of doing it. What? The Big Ten. Yeah, well, I mean, where would they go? Cincinnati, Indianapolis. Cleveland. Yeah, Indianapolis I was thinking Cincinnati, choice. Indianapolis, that whole area, like Columbus. Well, now you could, I guess well Indianapolis is where they have their conference championship. Doesn't that make all the sense in the world? That's true. That's true. Well, it does, but the SEC championship game's in Atlanta. Well, so, going so there makes – I'm feeling pretty good about our yeah. – I'm feeling pretty good about our bet with Borky about this LSU minus 10 because right across from us, somebody has NCAA football set up and it's just simulating – and they've got LSU, Texas with this year's rosters playing. 17-13 Tigers in the uh, second quarter. Feeling pretty good about our bet over there. Not, not to have this turn into a, uh, a video game discussion, mm -hmm. but do you realize how good the graphics are on a video game? Well, yeah, I play video games. So. Yeah, I don't. So, I mean, I'm like, oh, I, that's not Tecmo Bowl. And that's from the last game they published, which had to have been, what, was 14 15. the last 15 yeah, was 2015. the last game? Yeah, and, uh, but they've updated the rosters because that's Joe Burrow uh, handing the ball off there to Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Right, but the graphics wouldn't have improved much, if any, right? Oh, no, the gra I mean, Madden graphics are better now. Yeah, you should that. see the Madden And that's ones. an Xbox 360. That's not the new Xbox One or the PS4. You should see the new Madden graphics. It's insane. It's, it's, really, it's really getting like you're just watching a game. Really? Yeah. It's gotten to the point where, honestly, like we were I was talking about this with one of my roommates, like if, like, one of my, like, grandparents came in the room, it might take them a second to realize it wasn't a real game. Yeah. Like, when they go to a close-up shot, I can really, I can tell that it's a video game. Mm -hmm. But on a wide angle, like the high 50-yard line shot, you can't tell that it's not. Earlier today, I, when, we, when we first sat down, the guy was, it was I, I didn't quite realize it was a video game. And the only reason I, I realized it was that Ole Miss was beating Arkansas 65-38. to 38. And I was like, what, what year was that? Mm. I don't remember that game. And then I realized it was the video game. One of the, uh, one of the big topics right now for commissioners and athletics directors and one of the things that's being asked about, we've obviously seen it kind of in the world that we operate in, is the, uh, the growth of sports gambling, uh, the fact that it's out there, the fact that it's being legalized in multiple states. Uh, it is something that is on the mind of commissioners, ADs, head coaches maybe to a lesser degree. There's an education piece that goes along with uh, with all of that, Borky, let, let's hear what Greg Sankey had earlier uh, had to say earlier today about sports gambling as it pertains to the SEC. And legalized sports gambling and its accessibility is one of those changes confronting us all. The SEC presidents and chancellors have expressed strong support for NCAA national office efforts to seek federal le legislation that will regulate sports gambling. Ideally. There would be uniform practices applicable across states throughout the country governing gambling on college sports, particularly eliminating specific in-game betting and proposition bets on college sports. As I stated last year, it may be ideal for us not to experience any expansion in sports gambling. What is needed now is for our state and federal legislative leaders to enact policies, oversight, and to fund enforcement of those policies and laws to make sure we are protecting the integrity of our games and supporting properly our student athletes and the students even on our campus. With those, observation in, those observations in mind, 
Let me just identify emerging reality between sports gambling and mental health. A reward for participating in college sports is to challenge oneself on a campus athletically and academically and to deal with the pressures present in the competitive environment. Yet we're seeing trends in the mental health area that should cause us all to pause before these ideas around specific event betting within college sports are allowed to take place. And I'm talking about, for example, whether a field goal is made or missed. Whether a three-point try is successful, is, is a pitched ball, a strike, or a ball. That pause should happen before any of these types of activities take place. This is a fascinating angle. And listening live, I thought that was an interesting bridge that Greg Sankey uh, was trying to cross, uh, kind of tying sports gambling to mental health issues among young people. Uh, he cited... Um, Adam Silver, commissioner of, uh, of the NBA. And there's, uh, I think he spoke at uh, an event at MIT uh, in, in Boston, uh, kind of talking about mental health issues that younger people specifically are dealing with, but also that NBA players are dealing with. And it's, it's a... It's a very different approach to take this. I mean, we can just kind of strip it back and go, oh, you know what, it's all about personal responsibility. Bet on what you want to. Don't bet on what you don't want to and, and move on. Is there something to this, though, the idea of in-game betting? Uh, Brian Haydad lines up to kick a 41-yard field goal, and I can immediately bet on whether or not he makes it or doesn't make it. The mental weight that goes along with an unpaid – college athlete where thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars and as you get to bigger stages hundreds of thousands of dollars are riding on the outcome beyond just points on the scoreboard well when you think about social media i remember a few years back when weston graves missed that field goal at the end of the south alabama game that state lost Mm. uh, in 2016 and his social media was flooded with people just like you this that and the other and uh, how can you should just quit and blah 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 and it's you know, it tough to read. I mean, it's not like Weston Graves went out there to flub that kick on purpose. He just missed the field goal, which happened. So I sort of see I see sort of where he's coming from, but at the same time, I, I don't know that he's going to be able to get in front of this train and stop it. So, so when you take that social media reaction to a missed kick that cost you a game and you add to it the cost people that lost money yeah. on top of that and yeah. – and think about it from this angle. The people who were probably going off on Weston Graves and that are state fans. Sure. These are, now you're talking about people who have no connection to Weston Graves. They don't care about him or Mississippi State. They just lost money. So what are the, how, what's their reaction going to be? Yeah. Well, and in that particular case, like that field goal probably didn't decide any line. Can't imagine it was a field goal line. No, I'm sure state Well, was no, but I mean, not necessarily the outcome favorite. of the game one way or the other. But if you go, if you pull it to a more micro level, and you're talking about in-game wagers where you've got the ability to bet specifically on the outcome of a single play, of a single event, and then you want to tie that to the mental health conversation, that's a, that's a, I think that's something that needs a little bit more study more depth, and a little yeah. more attention yeah. than just a soundbite in a press conference. Yeah. I would you, agree. Do, do you have an opinion on it one way or the other? Well, I mean – I just how like how would you be able to regulate 
allowing betting on games but not live betting? Like, how do you have one without the other? Well, you put the legislation in that doesn't allow it. You allow for outcome-specific betting but not in-game-specific I mean, if the legislatures are putting together the rules for these, they can kind of set the rules how they want to. Yeah. Borky, does this, does this ring a bell with you at all? Uh, it, it is fascinating, but at the same time, it, the reason why sports gambling is legal in Mississippi is not because somebody voted to make it legal. All they did was remove the blanket ban on sports gambling across the United States, and now the, the states themselves are deciding on their own. So if you're going to make something like this happen, you have to get a federal law enacted. You have to go to Congress and they have to write a bill and it has to pass the House and then it has to pass the Senate and the President has to sign it. That, that seems like a really painstakingly long process for something that isn't all that prevalent in sports gambling. In-game betting is not where the vast majority of the money is coming from. Nobody's going to Caesars and dropping a $100,000 thing in Vegas on whether or not this guy's going to make this kick. Most of the time, they don't even offer that. The live in-game betting is pennies compared to the stuff that you get on X team minus three and a half. So it's noble and certainly is something that needs to be explored but if you're going to talk about legislation over gambling, it seems like that is a, a odd thing to focus on when, if you're trying to get the feds involved to do a blanket law that, that governs the entire landscape of sports gambling, yeah. you should bite off a little bit more than that, I guess is what I'm trying to say. It's also not new. This has been happening, quote-unquote, illegally on offshore sites for forever. Hmm. That's... Say, say that one more time. It's been happening for years on offshore sites. It's not like it's new. I don't sure. know what would change if it's legal. Yeah, and, and the other piece to me is that, well, we'll get into this a little bit more. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank Studio, live from SEC Media Days in Hoover. Talk Mississippi streaming online at supertalk.fm with you from SEC Media Days in Hoover, Alabama. Hey, so one last thought on the, the whole gambling conversation, um, kind of stemming from some of what Greg Sankey said earlier today about uh, fighting against the idea of in-game wagering, uh, that the, the league's preference, the leadership of the league's preference would have been for legalized sports gambling not to be part of uh, kind of the mainstream it is and so now their focus is on you know trying to fight against maybe in-game wagering and kind of creating pressure points uh, for student athletes and then kind of bridging that idea to mental health as well so there was a lot to unpack there the only thing I was going to say was the whole international piece of this and the fact that in Europe with soccer and just the, the mainstreamness of gambling on European soil, it's been that way forever. Yeah. Why is it different there? Maybe it's, that's, hey, it's professional sports as part of it. So, you know. I, that's true. But I read an article, and I, I don't remember a lot of the specifics about it, but they're talking about how that it's just such a ingrained you know, over there into the culture of. There are people who now, I mean, they're betting constantly in these games. And, and 
It's it goes so far. I mean, you watch an EPL game. Chances are the team, one of the teams, is wearing the logo of a like William Hill or something exactly like that. a mansion, mansion casino or whatever. Patty Power. Exactly one of those things that and that they're they're sponsoring the teams. Sure. Which is to me, it just comes across as a conflict of interest, doesn't it? But well, why is it it's more not palatable a pro- to. Uh, sorry, Borky. I was just going to ask why is it more palatable when it's professional sports like I, I and i get on the surface it's that they're adults and they're getting paid but why is the fact that they're making salaries make betting on it any more easier to digest with people it's not it doesn't with me but i i, I get I, I think it's i'm not saying it's right of, or wrong. i think you're asking like, why there is just the the idea the the feeling that these whether you believe this or not i mean a lot of these kids are a lot of these guys are 21 22 years old but that they're kids and they're playing, you know. They are. And, and so, a lot of dudes in the NBA that are kids, though. No, you're right. You're right. Yeah. Borky, what were you going to say? Oh, just it's not a problem over there because the ruining the integrity of the game line is not a real thing. And they've just gotten over it. And for some reason, we can't get over it here. There is the one the, in the college thing is a little bit interesting, but you would be able to tell if a guy purposefully lost a game. You can tell it doesn't happen very often, and that it doesn't happen at all, really. So they've just gotten over it over there. They understand that there's no amount of money that can be put down in the casino that will affect the way the players play the game on the field. Same thing's going to happen here. As Rippy said in the last segment, you've been able to bet on sports in one way or another forever. And the the shady actors that are going to try to interrupt the integrity of the game and like get to one of these kids and give them money to blow a game they're not betting through the casinos anyway they're not going to do it legally anyway so this idea that we have to have sweeping legislation to stop the people from ruining the integrity of the game they've always been able to bet and they're not going to do it legally regardless and it's not going to yeah. happen anyway i think that makes sense to, to a certain degree, but I also understand that if I'm an athletics director at one of the 14 schools in the SEC, or really others, any other school, or I'm the commissioner, that I maybe am looking at it a little bit differently than Borky, you and I are looking at it, or Hey Dad and Rippy are looking at it, where, you know, maybe recreationally, not, not like we're trying to make a living out of this, but maybe recreationally when we're uh, at Pearl River Resort, you know, at the sports book at Timeout Lounge, we drop down 20 bucks on a game. And, and don't see it as a big deal one way or the other, but are not taking into account the way other people perhaps look at gambling and look at it as a livelihood or look at it as the shady underbelly. I think Haydad's a self-proclaimed sharp. <laughs> I don't know if that's the case or not. Uh, he's one of the wise guys? Yeah, he's a wise guy. Yeah, well, my bank account doesn't agree with you. Uh, that said, though, Part of this is also the typical college football administrative type trying to make this game more noble and more, you know, be above the fray than, than it actually is. Sort of the same thing we talk about with NCA investigations. Yeah. Uh, Spire text line. Don't have a name that goes, hey, give us your name when you text. I mean, you don't have to. It just makes it so much easier so that I can say, hey, Jack in Smyrna said this. So here's 859 area code. I'm not even sure exactly where that is. He says, uh, or maybe she says, it's overthinking day. First, take the trophy off the field and some connection between mental illness and gambling. Was watching Sankey when he said it. Didn't get it then either. Or what his five-minute point was on mental health in general. I think the in general point 
was it, and I actually asked for a little clarification on this, is that mental health issues are on the rise with young people. And does that mean that they've always been there or they're just growing now? Maybe we're just recognizing them more than ever. The, the bridge that he was crossing, though, was that for student-athletes who are in some cases identifying as have many, having mental health issues, having the pressure piled on top of them is, do I make this field goal, do I miss it, and there's a, thousands of dollars riding on it, kind of a tough disconnect. I just think that's where he was going. Sports Talk Mississippi, hour number two, coming up next. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming online at supertalk.fm. Back with you at the Hyatt Regency in Hoover, Alabama. Day one of SEC Media Days. Missouri, Florida, and LSU, the first three teams up. Also, Greg Sankey, the commissioner, uh, spoke to get things started at 11.30 Central Time this morning. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online at mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Normally when we talk to Will Salmon, it is on the Farm Bureau phone line, and it's, uh, you know, from miles and miles and miles apart. That is not the case today, although it is still the Farm Bureau phone line, kind of. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Will Salmon, you may remember him from his time at the Clarion Ledger. When he was covering Mississippi State, he is now with the Athletics. Been there a little over a year now, right? Yeah, one year. We actually announced my um, sort of addition with a bunch of other SEC writers at this time last year. So the Athletics. So SEC Media Days. Yeah. Um, I'm a big fan. And uh, you, I've told you before I'm a big fan of yours, but also the product. And it's a different concept altogether than what's out there. So how is it a year in? Great, great. I mean, I probably I'm not allowed to get into too many specifics no, I get with that. that. But like, just overall, um, generally speaking, we have a, a a pretty good retention rate, which I think is the most important factor when you're kind of deciding on the fate of the athletic and how successful it will be. Is okay, we can get people in the door, but can we keep them there? Can we keep them happy? Sure. And what we're seeing is we're bringing in a lot of talented folks who are really good at what they do, and they're more enthusiastic than ever. I, you know, I've spoke to Bruce Feldman recently, the guy, you know, the great college football reporter about right. just what his approach has been now that he's been at The Athletic for a couple of years now, and he told me that he's, and this is a guy who's worked at Sports Illustrated, Fox, ESPN, this is the most enthused he's been about writing in his whole career. And so I think when you're getting that out of people, the response is going to be good because the quality is there. Yeah, and I, and I knew I didn't want to try and put you in a bad spot going down the road of numbers. and ha- I just want it to last. And it's like we're in a, a kind of an age where there's so many different media entities that seem to be falling away or where they got bought out by this equity partners group or whatever, and it's not what it started out as. And it's like this is one that I think most people that are subscribers to or followers of The Athletic – Let's make sure that this model works because there's a lot of really good talent there. Definitely. You know, I look at it like the other things that people subscribe to these days, whether it's Netflix or um, Hulu or whatever it is. Those products are often giving you something that you can't have, and they're probably giving it to you in a better sort of uh, distribution of of what you want, too, whether it's cleaner, whether it's just um, more accessible or more efficient and we try to do all of that so that's why you see like the cleanness of the app I think is a big deal that a lot of people don't often talk about because it's kind of taken for granted but if it wasn't like that we probably wouldn't gain as much notoriety or have as much success so I think all of it kind of factors into it and with the other 
media companies that you mentioned, a lot of them do it the same way. Uh, like they, they're doing it not not the same way as the athletic, but together collectively they do it the same way. Sure. And so with the athletic doing something new, that kind of gives you at least the sense of hope that it could be something different or could have um, a different end end result. And well, the quality probably breeds some of the enthusiasm you're talking about, right? Because they let y'all have time to creatively think and think of different stuff and a lot of freedom. Yeah, a little bit more stress for me. You a know? little stress. <laughs> that part's a little stressful, you know, because I'll, I'll be thinking sometimes, okay, what am I going to write that, you know, the seven, the seven or eight other people on the beat aren't going to write? Because then that's what I really need to be doing. And, th- and not for nothing, but that's what I tried to do at the Clarion Ledger anyway when I was covering Mississippi State. I always tried to put myself in the fan shoes and ask a question to myself, okay, if I was a Mississippi State fan, what would I want to read? What would I care about? And not waste my time on things that didn't sufficiently answer that question. Hey, I hear you're a, uh, you're a tough copy editor. Yeah, it could be that way. Who have you heard that from, though, Rich? Some guy named Rippy uh, <laughs> says that uh, at a time in his life when he needed a tough copy editor, he found one. Uh, by the name of Salmon. I've told him that before. I've literally not learned more about, like, writing and how to structure stuff more from that summer. And Will just, I don't know if he was, like, I don't know why he took he it. He felt interest. sorry what, for you. Yeah, that's yeah, definitely what it was. I looked across the room and said, this poor kid. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's talk Gators for a second. To me, this is a, a fascinating football team in that, that they had some success, maybe even more success than people thought they were going to have a year ago. And when you have success, expectations begin to rise. And in a place like Florida, it's not like the expectations are in the cellar to begin with. What does year two look like for Dan Mullen in Gainesville? Higher expectations. That's kind of the burden of having such a successful first year as a coach, right? I mean, you win nine, ten games. Now that's not good enough if you repeat it. In reality, it probably is because when Georgia is your measuring stick these days, you're probably going to fall short because you just do not do not have the talent that they do. It was kind of funny because Michael Pirine, their running back today, was asked about how they stack up. And he said, well, what do, you, what do you mean? I think we stack up just fine. We have the same amount of recruiting if you look at the numbers. And it's like, no, nah, man. No, you it's don't. Not, it's not exactly that way. I'm sorry to tell you. Um, but on the flip side of that, hey, at least he has guys believing that. So that's a plus, right? That, that's helpful. Um, but I, I like the team. Um, it's a good team. Offensively, they have a lot of firepower. They bring back their quarterback. Run game is there. All the wide receivers. Offensive line is a little bit of a question mark. But collectively, if you look at the group, they should have no issue with at least getting to eight wins and probably reaching right where they were last year. Hey, Will. Brian. Hey, Dad. Uh, oh, geez. <laughs> he gets it. Uh, Felipe Franks. The Mullen magic worked on him much better under Dan Mullen than before. Can he take another leap this season? Is he a, a potential? You know, not, I don't think he can get up there with Tua and Jake Fromm, but he could he be in that next tier of SEC quarterbacks. Probably, and I would almost argue that he probably already is, depending on who else you place in that group. Hey, more importantly, can he get to the level of Joe Burrow? Huh. <laughs> there you go. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to derail. Carry on. <laughs> nah, but. I, Felipe, it's tough because he's so much more confident than he, what he was a year ago. And so you look at that and you say, okay, he's made a ton of progress. But 
you asked the question of what's his next, what's the next step for him, and that's probably the deep ball and the accuracy with it. And for him, that's just super tough because that's just not his hallmark. That's not his calling card, and that's tough. That's tough to teach. I've had a lot of conversations with Dan Mullen about: is that something that you could actually fix? Is that a skill that's teachable for QBs? Um, how much can you improve accuracy? And that's something that's you know a case by case basis t- to some degree. But overall, I'm of, I'm of the idea that. At a certain point, a guy is who he is, and accuracy is just too tough to teach. With Franks highly rated coming in, he was pretty bad his first year. Now, freshman on the field, whatever, but then he does make that jump. And and I I know that's kind of what we're talking about. Can Can it happen again? I don't know if there's a quarterback that by the end of the season it felt like they were more improved year over year than what you saw with Felipe Franks. Would, would, would you concede that point? Yeah, I thought what helped him a lot, helped him significantly, was his experience in the running game last year. They really used him as that power runner that yeah. Dan Mullen likes to to deploy in, the, in his offenses. And so that helped him. That helped gain his confidence, knowing that he can get six, seven yards on a carry if they need him to. And that opened up some passing ideas for him. He became a little bit more comfortable in the offense. So, you know, like I, like I keep going to, the biggest thing for him is going to be that accuracy. Yeah. Can, he, can he fix what, that? What's the, is there a number there that you think? I mean, is it 59.8%? Is it being a 64% passer? No, because I think that even if he is, the question is going to be, well, where are those passes? If they're all short passes, then that's not impressing me. Yeah. Is he going to connect on that deep pass? First play against Georgia, he missed Van Jefferson on, a, on an easy deep ball that would have been a touchdown that game. I'm not saying it would have been a win for Florida, but it changes the complexion of the game, at least for the time being. That's one example off the top of my head. There were, there were others like that where he just completely misses the guy. So that's going to have to get fixed. You saw it, Will, in Mississippi. Dan Mullen's shtick. It worked in Mississippi, and it worked from day one. Right, He gets the job. That's kind of who he is. He's a take shots and dig. It doesn't seem to be as well received at a place like Florida as it was at Mississippi State. Is that a bad read by me, or is that accurate? I think that's accurate, and there's a couple of reasons for that. At Mississippi State, I agree with him when he says that he sort of had to do that in some ways, where he had to sort of inspire the fan base a little bit or get them to believe in him, get him to accept him as one of their own, if you will, for whatever reasons. And so he had to sort of uh, needle the old the old Miss, old Miss as the rival. He had to really exploit that relationship and build off of that. At Florida, one, you don't have to do that because you're already supposed to win. So you're not trying to invent anything. And secondly, you're not the top dog in your division. So if you're trying to needle Georgia and they're going to in turn beat you or beat you on the recruiting trail, while, hey, by the way, you're also having kids leave your program for a variety of reasons. Some you can't control, some you probably can. It's just overall a bad look, so it's not going to be well-received. And, and if we're being honest, he's not as funny as Steve Spurrier, and Steve Spurrier may be the best one-line guy in the history of college football. So yeah, that's not an that. easy shadow in which to follow. There's that. I, I mean, I think, I think Dan can be kind of funny. Um, yeah, when it's not funny, yes, but he's not witty like Spurrier was. Probably, I, I feel like when he's not trying too hard and it just kind of comes at comes at you. When it's that's real. what makes it. Yeah, that makes it, it. It's not contrived, you know, and that's what I give Dan Mullen yeah. a lot of times. He is pretty genuine when it comes to that. You know, we're all a fan of your work. Always appreciate your time. Good visiting with you today, Will. Thanks for having me, guys. Enjoyed it. Will Salmon from the Athletic. You can follow him on Twitter at Will Salmon. Subscribe if you haven't. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio, streaming online. 
at supertalk.fm. Talk Mississippi streaming online, supertalk.fm, live from SEC Media Days in Hoover, Alabama. LSU, one of the teams that is here today. Talk about the Tigers a little bit. Matt Moscona from ESPN 104.5 in Baton Rouge. I got to do this. I know this is all college football all week long, but uh, our producer, Michael Borky, is a huge Pelicans fan, and not like just for the last three weeks. Like like all the new Pelicans fans, like right. he's been shoving Pelicans down our throat for three years. It's a pretty cool vibe all of a sudden yeah. around the NBA team in Louisiana. So he's the one. Yeah, it's him. The, the singular, the the fan. Yeah. Um, he actually had these special socks that he wore on draft uh, on the lottery night, and we were making fun of him. And then he's like, "Those socks are never getting washed again." <laughs> he's convinced that his socks are the reason that uh, Zion is now in New Orleans. Uh, I had a priest on my show that day praying for the Pelicans to win the lottery, and it worked out. I'm going to go with the priest having a divine you know, escalator to the Lord uh, over Paul, over Paul's socks. Um, but either way, we'll take it, whoever gets the credit. But it, it is a very cool vibe. And there have been times... This is the point where we're assuming that God cared about Zion being in New Orleans? Uh, I think God cared about uh, the priest who decided, uh, who chose a life of chastity and could look and say, hey, you owe me one, big guy. Uh, and, uh, and said, all right, well, I'll give, you the, I'll give you Zion. So it worked out that way. But um, it is a cool vibe. Selfishly, I love that I have stuff to talk about this time of year uh, and people care about the NBA team. I love, I mean, I love the NBA. I, I would prefer NBA over college basketball. You, we have allegiances, right? We cheer for, pull for, or cover the teams we cover. Uh, but just as far as the product, I prefer the NBA over college basketball. And man, Pelicans ha- have done everything right of late, which is which is fun to see for a change. You experienced an earthquake yeah, man. in Vegas, Summer League going on, but you weren't really there for Summer League? I... Was in Ve- my birthday was last week, and I went to Vegas for UFC 239. I went to go to the fight, see the fight card. It just so happened that Zion's debut was that Friday before the night before the fight, so we're there. But you didn't go see it. So I had a but I had a buddy who lives in Vegas, who had suite tickets to the summer league, and we were gonna go. But I spent Friday at the Encore Beach Club pool party and never made it to the Summer League game. So I did not make it to the Summer League game. I was sitting in a bar at the Aria, the High Limit Lounge, having a cocktail when I fell out of my off my bar stool. And uh, I thought... Not because of what you had had to drink maybe, at the High Limit Lounge? Maybe. I, I, there might have been a moment where I thought someone might have slipped something in my drink. But uh, I thought I was having vertigo. And then I realized, no, this is an earthquake. So if we're scoring at home... Last week I was in Vegas, had an earthquake. This this week, or most recently, in Louisiana, hurricane. Uh, now I'm in Alabama. So all I'm telling you, Richard, is beware. Keep an eye on the sky. Hoping for hoping for the best. But if locusts come out in in, uh, in droves, you'll know you'll know who's at fault. Visiting with Matt Moscona, probably should get to uh, some college football. Does, does Ed Ogeron have a relationship with uh, the priest that was on your show? He should if he doesn't, because it seems to work out pretty well. And I think Ed has. Um, I, I've mentioned this to a few people today. I think the we should have an LSU drinking game today. 
uh, with the word expectation or expectations. Anytime you hear someone say that with LSU, you drink. And then I thought better of it because you'd probably die because that's what everybody's talking about with LSU right now is the expectations. And, you know, it's, it's odd to think of it this way because everyone sort of roundly looks at last year as a big success for LSU. They were 9-3. and three. Ed's first season in Baton Rouge nearly lost his job after one year. They were 9-3. and three. So expectations and how that 9-3 and three looks is, is important, obviously. And this is the part where you go, and the reason that Les Miles ultimately was not in Baton Rouge was because he went 9-3, and three, right? Yeah. There's, there, but it all goes back to what the expectation of the fan base is. Last year, you and I were sitting in Atlanta talking, and I told you I th- thought they were going to go 7-5. and five. I looked at the fact that they lost their quarterback, top two receivers, top two running backs, three offensive linemen, half the defense. They didn't have a kicker. And oh, by the way, you got top ten Miami. Georgia rotates on your schedule. you got to go to Florida, Auburn, uh, A&M. And I went, how are they going to navigate this? You know, And most people thought the same. But they did. They go 9-3. and three. They win a good bowl game. And now you get everybody back. And the schedule lightens up. So, if, if, like, man, so much of preseason is just checking boxes, right? Like, who has the most returning? Who has the fewest questions? Who has the most manageable schedule? And for LSU, they check a lot of those boxes this year. So they're going to be a popular pick to do well. Ole Miss did a home-and-home with Texas in the late 2010-ish. I don't remember the exact year. I remember. And... When, when Texas came to Oxford and then when Ole Miss made the return trip, those are two of the more memorable non-conference games in my lifetime related to Ole Miss. A gazillion Texas fans came to Oxford. Ole Miss took a huge crowd down there. Are LSU fans looking at that in, in kind of the same way? Oh, man. That is a big one. Not only because people, in some respects, love the novelty of it, right? Because we just, in college football, you don't get many traditional home and homes anymore the neutral site game is is more lucrative and more and lsu's done it a ton Uh, to their credit they've started to schedule more home and homes which is going to be great for the fans but richard the other part of it man is the tom herman angle tom herman was almost lsu's coach and there's a lot of people yours truly included who wanted tom herman to be lsu's coach and you know on thanksgiving night in 2016 we're looking at the ticker when lsu's playing texas a&m and Tom Herman's going to be the LSU coach. And then he wasn't. And then they rush Ed Ogeron to the podium. And then Texas introduces Tom Herman. And at that point, every LSU fan has circled this day, like September the 7th, when LSU plays in Austin. Like, it's something people have talked about for a long time, for two years in Baton Rouge. Like, not just the fact that they're playing Texas and it's a big deal, but the Ogeron-Herman angle is, is a massive massive ego play for the fan base for the program as a whole i mean it's a big big deal that that game is a massive game for lsu this year 20,000 fans in austin and then 20,000 texas fans the year after i'd think at least that but you got and you gotta remember lsu's biggest alumni base outside of louisiana is houston uh and then dallas is not far behind so those lsu fans in those two cities are gonna go and then LSU fans that love the novelty. But LSU brought 30,000 people to Lambeau Field. So, I mean, that's Green Bay, Wisconsin. You know, people just made an event of it. They got on a plane. They went to Milwaukee or Chicago, did baseball games, weekend, went to Green Like, LSU fans are going to, like, you will have more than 20,000 people, LSU fans in Austin. Will they all get in the game? Probably not. But you'll have, you'll have way more than that make the trip. Let's go back to that night in, in 2016. And I'm not trying to, like, relitigate Ed Ogeron being hired 
because I kind of raised my hand as I was I'm, I'm kind of bullish on him now I mean it, it I, I see the progress I think I mean, this is a guy who had a a guy that had a front row seat for a bit of a train wreck earlier in his career not not to ruin this for you but last night here in the hotel they got a restaurant down there Merck's and we're sitting there having a beer and the SEC network had the the 2007 Ole Miss Mississippi State game on like the the low the point that really got him fired right I mean when the when he went for it on fourth down uh, yeah fourth in a long a long yard up 14 nothing at midfield yeah that so we're sitting there watching that last night like uh, like it just brought it all back it just you're talking about a front row seat anyway sorry I interrupted no 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 I just I was just kind of thinking back to to when that all played out what actually happened did Joe Oliva screw it up was Tom Herman's agent pulling strings better than any puppet master we've ever seen did they pit the two against each other did LSU get completely played so I'll give you the answer with the understanding that there's a lot of people listening I know who have made up their mind and have had their mind made up on this that they won't believe what I'm going to say but I just happen to know probably more than most how that all transpired uh, and we can talk about it now because it's it's you know, very far in the past. But uh, there were a, Tom Herman was was committed to LSU. If you remember the year before, LSU had made a run at Jimbo Fisher in late 2015, and that fell apart mostly because LSU didn't want to pay the buyout. Uh, not not the buyout. It there was a lot Jimmy Sexton did what Jimmy Sexton did and drove up the price and it fell the deal fell apart. So in 2016, after Les got fired, there were a lot of people that thought that LSU was going back to the well with Jimbo. And LSU did really a remarkable job of, of um, using that as a diversion to make people think they were going after Jimbo when in all honesty they had zeroed in on Tom Herman from the beginning. He was their guy. There's, there was no question Tom Herman was their guy and he had committed to being LSU's coach. Um, specifically with Texas, there were, some, there were some stumbling blocks with Texas. Um, number one, Texas really wasn't going to fire Charlie Strong. They didn't want to. Then it got blown up by Kansas, and LSU was about to hire Herman, so they made a move. Um, you know, Major Applewhite was was Tom Herman's assistant. He was offensive coordinator in Houston. And if you remember, Major was involved in a Title IX lawsuit when he was on staff at Texas under Mac Brown. So Major couldn't go with Tom Herman back to Texas. So that was a big stumbling block as well. Um, LSU played... A&M on Thanksgiving night. Houston was playing Memphis on that Friday. Saturday morning, Joe Oliva was going to be on a plane to Houston to sign paperwork with Tom Herman and bring him to Baton Rouge. Like, this was a done thing. Very much a done thing. Back with you from SEC Media Days in Hoover. Richard Cross, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey, Michael Borky in the studio. All guests on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Let's continue our conversation with, with uh, Matt Moscona. We'll pick back up. We are talking about Tom Herman getting the Texas job, Ed Ogeron getting the LSU job, and kind of the crazy sequence of his events that led to that happening. I remember the feeling around that Houston-Memphis game was really, really weird because the news had broke the night before that, that, uh, that Tom Herman was coming to Baton Rouge. But here's the interesting part about it. Well, it's all really interesting. But Tom, LSU's playing A&M. And the news about the Houston coach going to LSU was broken by 
a Texas website. You start to connect the dots, and you're like, what is a Texas website doing reporting news about the Houston coach going to LSU? Like, why do they have the scoop? Well, Tom Herman's agent floated that news. It's like, to text, like, hey, this is about to happen. Like, if you want him, you better make a decision quickly. Well, they fired Charlie Strong. Herman decided that he wanted to talk to Texas, and at that point, Joe Oliva pulled his offer from Tom Herman, never met with him, pulled the offer, and hired Ed Osher. Um, and they raced him to a podium on a Saturday morning, essentially to beat Texas from introducing Tom Herman first. It was a um, a very poorly handled situation. But my, my point all along is like maybe, maybe Tom Herman still would have picked Texas. Maybe, maybe not. But even if he did, if you fired Les Miles and you used two months to vet every candidate and that's your guy, you at least go meet him face-to-face and make your pitch. You at least go all in on getting your guy. And if he chooses somewhere else, oh, so be it, then you move on. But there was no reason to rush. And, and they rushed, and it was a very poor moment in, in Joe Oliva's history, uh, his tenure at LSU. And maybe it'll work out. As you said, you're bullish on Ed now. We'll see if he can get it going in the right direction and keep it going in that direction. But... Um, well, I'm bullish on him if he commits to what he said he's committing to. I mean, if, if Brady and Steve Ensminger are, are really going to handle the offense and he's going to kind of continue to be the figurehead of the program, I know that's not enter- entirely fair to label him that way, but but, but it works, It's not. Inaccurate. I think. It's not inaccurate. Um, the, the odd thing about Ed is... Like there's there's such a noticeable difference between interim ed and full-time head coach ed. You know, interim ed was very was very transparent and 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 energetic and people and magnetic. People liked him a lot. Um, full-time ed feels like he's trying to be a, a Fortune 500 CEO. It's like that's not what you do. Do do you? Because you do you well. So do that. I think he's starting to get. Today's going to be interesting to see how what he says, you know, when he meets with the media today, because to to see if he's if he's a bit more comfortable than he'd been in the past. But but I tend to agree if he can if he can let Joe Brady run the offense the way he wants. They, Richard, they've got they've got a, a stable roster, man. They got a fifth year senior quarterback. They got four or five running backs. They return their entire offensive line. They return their top five receivers from last year. I mean, you lose Devin White and Greedy Williams, and that's no small shakes. But you've you've recruited well enough to have bodies to replace them. Um, You're maybe the best player in the country in Grant Delpit on the back end. I completely agree. And a schedule that lightens up. Like, this should be a a year where you have great expectations on this team. You've been kind with your time. A couple of quick thoughts. Joe Burrow, um, how big of a step can he take year one in Baton Rouge to year two in Baton Rouge? And how important is that to the overall success? Man, if you look at what Joe Burrow did from the first two months of the season and then what he did in November, it was very clear a light came on. Things slowed down for him. At this time last year, he was still trying to find his apartment on campus. Like, literally. Um, And he got thrown right into the fire after three weeks of fall camp, and then, hey, you're the starting quarterback against top 10 Miami and Dallas. Good luck. Uh, he's also only taken one class as a graduate, one class this semester, so he is full on like a pro lifestyle as far as game film and preparation. 
I think Joe Burrow is going to have a monster year. And maybe I'm in the minority, but he's got the size. He can make all the throws. He's a better athlete than people give him credit for. Son of a coach. Smart guy. Good leader. Players love him. Um, and he's bought in. I, a little cocky, too, isn't he? Yeah, he is. And I don't I don't hate that. I, I like it with Baker Mayfield. I, I liked it with Johnny Manziel. I... I I want. I don't mind my quarterback having a little, a little bleep you edge to him. Um, it's it's not a prerequisite, but I don't mind it. Um, I I think he's going to have a, a, a monster year. I don't know if that translates into LSU being a championship contender. I don't think they're going to beat Alabama, but I think Joe Burrow is for the first time since 2013 with Medenberger, LSU's got a quarterback that can win a game for them instead of hey just don't go screw it up. Last thing. What, uh, on the day that it became clear that Joe Oliva was out, and then when it became clear that Scott Woodward was in at AD, dancing in the streets, like popping corks all over the place? To me, that is, hiring Scott Woodward is the most significant move in LSU athletics since they hired Nick Saban. And keep in mind, when they hired Nick Saban in November of, or December of 99, uh, he wasn't Nick Saban. He was coming off a nine-win season at Michigan State, right? He wasn't six-time national champion Nick Saban. But we saw what the groundwork laid was. The biggest problem that Oliva had was he created so many different you know, fractions within the athletic department and the community, from boosters and administrators and everybody. Some people liked him, some didn't, but there were battle lines drawn. And bringing in Scott Woodward, the day he was introduced, being in that room, that press conference, every influential booster... Every administrator, athletic and academic, coaches, current and past, former athletic greats, everybody was there. The lieutenant governor of the state, like, everybody was there. And it just goes to show you, he, in that decision, unified everybody that is of influence around LSU and unified them in that one hire. And that... That is massive for LSU for everybody to be sort of rowing in the same direction because it's been a while since since they have top on down. Will Wade the coach November 2019? Oh yeah. Will Wade the coach no, uh, November 2020? Oh yeah. Really? Yeah. Okay. Uh, any 2021? <laughs> and the NCAA moves notoriously slow. Um, I'm not convinced they have a smoking gun on Will Wade. And I think you could end up with a situation similar to like Cam Newton where everyone assumed his dad took a quarter million dollars for his kid to go play at Auburn. But because he was unaware that his dad was the NCAA let him, right? Or like when Johnny Manziel sitting in a hotel room in Las Vegas with hundreds of items he's signing and we're all supposed to believe he did that out of the goodness of his heart, but they suspended him for a half anyway. Like, it feels to me like... And he comes of, back flashing money right, signs right, right. It, against Rice. It's like... But it, it feels to me like one of those. Um, and I don't think Will's leaving LSU because I think at this point he's toxic. So if he goes anywhere, I think it's NBA and I don't think that's anytime soon. Anything come from the Our Lady of the Lake deal? Non-issue. How is that a non-issue? So I know you've run lot like yeah, and, and I apologize no, for good. doing this to I'm, you, I'm, but I'm good. I just don't want to like crush one of your your segments. So that's another thing that I know way, way more because I 
So John Paul Funes, the man who's pled, pled guilty to embezzlement, is, is a friend of mine. Like, it, not someone I know, but is a he is my friend. So I know just a lot about that and the goings on. And the the day that story broke eight months ago, LSU was aware of the two instances involved. Compliance got involved, and neither are neither neither is an issue. I'm, you heard me say it. Neither like maybe self-report minor thing. Neither's an issue. That might be groundbreaking, okay. right here. And no, I appreciate you saying that. And next year, if I'm wrong, you can laugh at me. But Ro, Rohan Davey has not played at LSU since 2001. Rohan is also a very good personal friend of mine. Um, I feel like Stephen A. Smith now. Everybody's my friend. But but Ro- could you talk a little louder and be a little more animated? Rohan, <laughs> but but he is. Um, and there's nothing involved with LSU as far as that one. And then the Vidal Alexander situation. Family moved from Georgia to Baton Rouge. Got it. Guy got a job at the hospital. Got to play the game, right? Never happens, does it? Matt Moscona. And that was in 2012, so you're talking seven years ago. 104.5. Statute of limitations. ESPN, Baton Rouge, OTR, right? Why did I make that up? No, AFR. AFR. Why don't I go OTR? OTB is the more off the bench. Off the bench AFR, you combined our morning and afternoons. So AFR... Afternoons, Baton Rouge, New Orleans, Alexandria, CST. Uh, just Google my name if you can if you can find out the vowels. You're the best. Thanks, man. Thanks, Five o'clock hour with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm, coming to you from SEC Media Days, the kickoff of the 2019 college football season from Hoover, Alabama. We're at the Hyatt Regency. Richard Cross, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey, Michael Borky in the studio. Glad to have you along. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank online, mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing needs of any kind, Mississippi Land Bank can help. If you're a farmer with equipment needs, looking to buy a new piece of property, maybe refinance an existing loan, or if uh, you need a production loan, Mississippi Land Bank can help. Not a farmer, but uh, you want to build that dream house in the country or buy a piece of recreational property, that's what they do at Mississippi Land Bank. They've been financing and refinancing land for over 100 years. You can check them out at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. We are glad to have you along this afternoon and throughout the week. We will be here until Thursday. And then a week from Thursday, Sports Talk and the entire Super Talk Mississippi crew We'll be coming to you live for the 7th Annual Palmer Home for Children Radiothon. That is July 25th. We'll tell you more about it as we get a little bit closer. But appreciate all of those of you who have already begun to support it by donating auctions for the online, I'm sorry, items for the online auction. You want to do that, it's not too late. Donate at supertalk.fm. Boys, you having fun today? Absolutely. Where else would you rather be? Rippy? Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> I mean, it's like, it's like pulling teeth, Borky. Hey, Rippy. Yeah, how it are sounds you? like you greatest brought the wrong day. guys. Good. Like, greatest day ever. 
honestly. Like in the history of the world? I think so. I've had a lot of days in these 24 years. This one's up there. All right. So Put a pretty good golf course over the weekend, didn't you? It's the uh, Augusta National, West Hines County. <laughs> Honestly, in all seriousness, you should go check it out. It's called Halifax Holes, and it really is a cool course in its own way. Three greens, six tee boxes to each green. Or like six is it available boxes. for the public? I, you can go out there. And play. I actually don't know that for a fact. I do know people that live around there do go play. I mean, there's like a cart bar and like 30-ish carts, I would say. Yeah. Um, you can call and get a tee time? I, th- I mean, yeah, I th- you probably could. I, d- I would have to check on that. It's cool. It's a lot of fun. The format's great. It's a um, and it's like kind of hard in its own way because it's small greens. Yeah. Like you're going at different angles, but two man scramble, so you play in three tensums. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, tensums award award. You play three ten man groups. Borky, have you ever played the Augusta National of Western Hines County? Never heard of it until right now. It's awesome. All jokes aside, I, that's the most fun I've had playing golf in a long time. The course is awesome. The time had by all was awesome. I think everybody had fun. I did. I guess I can't speak for the other 29 people there. If, I had a blast. If they didn't, they were doing it wrong? I don't see how you couldn't have fun. You're driving around a golf course in good weather. Three greens, six tee, tee boxes per green? Pretty much, yeah. I mean, it's just six, yeah, six different. You go at you go at each green six different ways, basically. Wow. Uh oh, we got Kevin tells us on the Sports Talk Mississippi Twitter feed that Halifax Holes is private. A local farmer built it in his yard. Maybe you could call and ask nicely, and they'd let you on. It's awesome. Or is this a place where you just go play and then hope you don't get shot at? No, you don't. No, you don't. It's, 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 it's on a farm, but it's like around a cornfield. It really is cool. It is a cool, like, unique course. Have you ever played a course that sounds anything remotely like that? No. Okay, they keep it up in good shape? It's really interesting. Yeah. You should take me sometime. I'll work on that. Okay. You know, it's hard to get on the Augusta National. Of Hines County? Yeah, of whatever that last Western Hines County. Of West Hines County. It was a blast. Yeah. I had fun. Uh, Sports Talk Mississippi, I think it's time for the college football fix. College football fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Don't miss out on the hurry up and save sales event. Fairly self-explanatory. You might want to hurry up and save because there's great savings right now on the F-150, the Explorer, the Expedition, the Edge, whatever it is you're looking for, you can save at your local Mississippi Ford dealer. Test drive one today. Greg Sankey speaking to the media to kind of kick off SEC Media Days. I say speaking to the media. It's kind of speaking to the masses at this point as this has become a little bit of a television event for uh, for SEC Network and uh, kind of a launching point for the college football season. He talked a lot today about officiating. Uh, We were told, or there was a press release that said uh, that they engaged, I think it was Deloitte, uh, the consulting firm, to kind of go through an audit. And I think a lot of us were left with questions of, how how does your officiating program go through an audit? Well, Greg Sankey explained some of that today. What I told our coaches in February is, just like them, I never want us to be complacent. I'm interested continually in how we improve. So we asked Deloitte, as part of their external review, to conduct three specific tasks. One, to conduct interview stakeholders. 
uh, stakeholder interviews. Strike that, reverse it, for those of you who are Willy Wonka fans. Stakeholder interviews. To conduct stakeholder interviews. They did so with our 14 head football coaches, our 14 athletics directors, a group of football officials, and a group of former student athlete, athletes and former SEC head football coaches. The second thing we asked was for them to perform data analytics using game reports and our officiating performance reviews. And the third part was to compare our policies against those of other sporting entities, both domestic and international. Here's what we've learned so far. When our policies and procedures were compared with others, we compared favorably. You'll hear in a moment about some adjustments we learned may be helpful. The feedback from those interviewed indicates SEC officials are perceived to better manage the game when compared to their peers. Third, our coaches, athletics directors, and our officials express trust and confidence that the leadership of the SEC office is committed to supporting the highest quality officiating program. Next, there's an open line of communication between the SEC's coordinator of football officials, Steve Shaw, and our head coaches, something for which our head coaches are appreciative and they respect Steve's responsiveness. Steve's approach and his scheduling of his schedule of providing weekly officiating evaluation feedback is helpful to and trusted by our head football coaches. The collaborative replay process speeds up decision making and produces more correct outcomes in which our membership has expressed confidence. In fact, our replay process operates on each play 10 seconds faster than the national average and produces more correct outcomes than the old in-stadium process. We also learned something interesting, and that is both our head coaches and our officials want to improve their working relationship. As a result of the feedback, one of the first adjustments we made was to invite a group of referees, our White Hats, to Destin to spend time in a, in a facilitated conversation with our head football coaches to hear each side's view of challenges and the realities before, during, and after football games. We will do All right, Borky, the same let's press thing time out for a second. Uh, I don't want that to become too boring. Okay, the commissioner's talking about officiating, blah, 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 blah. Because you kind of got to dig into some of what he's saying. Question number one, is there a problem with college football officials in the SEC? Yes. They're terrible at their jobs. But they're the best of the ones that are out there. Well, I may be the skinniest of the hate ads, but it doesn't mean I'm not overweight. But it's really not that bad. I'm not afraid to fight you. Well, I tend, I tend to agree with Rippy that, like, at, at what level do you look at games and go, oh, their officials are great? None. The NFL so is, angry is about really it. well oh, I'm officiated. I'm angry about it across the board. Borky, say that again. The NFL is really well officiated, generally speaking. It is. Except in the NFC Championship games. Right. They well, blew they that blew call. They blew a call, though. They blew the, maybe the biggest call of the season. But plenty of, like, but you'd like, whenever it's a well officiated game, no one says anything. All well, that's the, the point. They say stuff when. Officials are like offensive linemen. You only know their names when they screw up. Yeah, but they're also not robots. Human error is part of it. But week in, week out, human error is unacceptable. I don't find I don't know that there's any way to avoid it, though. And and they say they go through this audit, and when compared against all the other leagues that are out there, professional, amateur, uh, international, domestic, 
the SEC's football officials, they, they fare favorably. Well, I mean, that may very well be. It just means the other ones are worse. It doesn't mean that the SEC is good. Well, yeah, we'll ask you. We'll ask when we come back. I, I want to know from you what you think would make a good official. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio, streaming online at supertalk.fm. We'll continue the college football fix. We're also going to get to winners and losers from the weekend. That's when we continue after this. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. SEC Media Days. I want to play part of what Greg Sankey said about officiating today, but this was actually not part of his, his like long spiel on officiating. Uh, he got a question from uh, Jacques Doucet, who covers uh, LSU for one of the television stations down there, asking about targeting, and I think they were specifically referring to the Devin White, but kind of if there had been more discussion about targeting in the offseason, and the commissioner talked specifically about targeting and what it was going to look like this year. When targeting was initiated as a rule, it was about protecting the players in the game. That's still the case. The reality of targeting, it is a well-intended rule that is difficult to officiate and controversial even when applied correctly, which we communicated on that play. It was, in fact, by rule uh, applied correctly. That doesn't mean it's not controversial. Uh, I'm encouraged by the willingness to update the rule this year because we had one of these conflicts, it seemed, where the charge to the official on the field is when in doubt, you put the flag down. The responsibility of a video review official is you have to have a clear evidence to overturn that it wasn't something or that it was. And so we're in this gray area, uh, and Steve will talk more about this tomorrow. You had this reality where it, it stood or it may have been confirmed even in some occasions. Now we go to video review in the coming season to say all three parts under the new approach, the new rule, all three parts of targeting must be present for the rule to be applied. And that will produce outcomes different from past years. It will still be controversial. But fundamentally, we have to understand this is about protecting the participants in the game. You asked about the penalty. If we could change behaviors without penalties, I'm sure we would. But we have different types of penalties for all kinds of behaviors. And that's a particularly dangerous play, which merits that severe accountability. I thought there was something in there that he said that, that struck me as really interesting. And that was that the officials are instructed to, if there is question, if there is concern, err on the side of throw the flag. But previously, the rules were overturn, um, you overturn it if it's clearly not, you uphold it. I'm not, affirm is not the right word. Right. Or the call just stands. Stands, yeah. Well, the, you, you got caught in the, well, I don't know if there's enough there to overturn it. We can't necessarily confirm it, so it's just going to stand. But we've told those guys to err on the side of, if you're not entirely sure, just throw the flag. Yeah. Well, if you're not entirely sure, that kind of puts you in the gray area of, eh, what do we do here, what do we do here? Oh, we'll just, we'll just let it stand for now. Right. But no, this wouldn't be that big of a deal if they had, I guess, addressed the stupidest part of the penalty 
The closest thing college football has to like a golf rule is getting ejected for targeting and sitting out the first half of the next game. What does that accomplish? Like, why not make it like the NBA technical thing where if you read a certain threshold, then maybe you're suspended for a game? What is like? Why punish the dude into a second game? That makes no sense. Yeah. I guess the biggest thing that I like about what they're doing now is. You have to be able to uphold the call that was made on the field. There is no it just stands. But what's the reason for ejection and suspension? It, well, I mean, his point at the end was you got to put punishment on behavior to change it. Then if you get two of them, you're out. But what is, why do it? Why carry it over to another game? It'll still change behavior. You don't want to get thrown out of that game. Sometimes it just happens. There's nothing you can do about That's it. First one's 15 yards. The second one, you're out of that game. What does punishing them for another game do? It's yeah. stupid. The punishment doesn't fit the crime. A holding penalty or a pass interference penalty doesn't affect the next game. A targeting penalty can affect the next game. That's something I don't agree with. Well, Absolutely, but if you it does. Launch it's a player your, safety thing, though. Yeah, Go ahead, Borky. If you launch your body at somebody else's head and, and have a direct shot at another player's head, it could affect their life. And what about so, a roughing, but a lot of the, roughing time, the quarterback penalty? A lot of the times the defenders change, to too. They change direction. They change their body position while the eyes already left. So have, a lot of times it's not their fault. It just happens. Like, of course. There's no blame at all placed on the offensive player for it. Of course. But targeting penalties are down. So it might be working. Sure, I'm just saying. I, I agree with that. I'm just saying it could work without effect, it affecting two different football games when the penalty only happened in one game. Like that makes no sense. I agree with you. I don't think this should be ejected at all. But they're doing that. It's just for player safety. That's why. It's so they can feel good about because that penalty is different than just a roughing the passer. Roughing the passer could be shoving him down, but a direct shot to a guy's head can have implications that extend far beyond their playing career. And so they, they feel better about that being the penalty because of the implications and all of that around player safety. It's not They don't treat it like a regular penalty because it's not a, a regular penalty, especially when it's obvious and clearly intended for uh, – the defender clearly intended to harm the upper neck-to-head area of an offensive player. So it makes them feel better about that because of the further implications. I would agree that this penalty is viewed differently. It is, yeah. And, and with good reason. I mean, I, I, I guess there was probably a risk. Yeah, no, you're right. You do assume some risk. But there was a time where I was in the, oh, let's just put them in skirts and play in flags. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I was there, but I'm not there anymore because the game is dangerous. And I don't like seeing people walk around half vegetables when they're 35. Or can't get out of bed. I mean, if, if there's a way to make the game that we love a little safer, then that makes sense. But, yes, you go into it knowing that there's a really good chance you're tearing an ACL. Or, you know, you're going to have a, a rotator cuff issue. Or you may have a, I don't know, separated spleen somewhere along the way. That sounds painful, right? I mean, the bicep gets torn from the... Whatever. But if we can avoid some head injuries along the way, it seems like it probably is a good idea. I don't disagree with that at all. I just don't think the punishment is structured efficiently at all. Punishment doesn't fit the crime in this for me. If you're trying to improve safety of the game, then you want to do something to deter people from committing that particular penalty. 
An ejection does that. Why carry it over to a second football game? If you get ejected with eight minutes to go in the ball game, does it really matter? I mean, I guess depending on how big a game it is. but And they don't carry it over to a second game if you get called for that penalty in the first half. No, you just miss the whole game. You miss the, you miss the game that you're in. It, it the sh- penalty gets carried it sh- over it if you get called over. for it, it in the second game. It shouldn't carry over to the second game. I just don't agree with that. Yeah, fair enough. I don't you know that you're I... ejected from the game. That's the end. Yeah, the first stuck. play of the game or the last play. Of the game. And then we get stuck with uh How do you penalize a guy, though, that goes after a quarterback with a headshot with two minutes to play? Was it Delpit or Williams that had it for the Alabama game? Like, it was Devin Williams. I'm sorry, White. Devin White. Devin White. Devin White, excuse me. Um, but then you're sitting there and you have to listen to Gary Danielson talk about how this guy's going to come in and save the day as if they, he like can play offense and score points, too. Like It just creates a very weird dynamic. C Spire text line is open to you, 601-879-4395, 601-879-4395. Bruce says, what if the targeting penalty does injure the other player and cost him the next game or possibly even the rest of the season? Why should an offensive guy not be punished for lowering the crown of his head into somebody? He yeah. should be. Well, that, you, can have, you can share both opinions. It's not a one no, or the no, other thing. Right, I'm just throwing it out there, but there's not a penalty in place. When's the last time you've seen offensive targeting? Uh, it does not happen very often, does it? Okay, so so I want to go back to the other thing. Because Haydad is just anti-striped shirts, period. Mm. He just can't stand the officials. and They're terrible, and they're out to get... What would make a good official in your mind? If you, we could, Okay, well, hold on. I mean, do you agree that we have to have officials? We've got to have Yeah, we've got to have officials. So what makes a good one? One who doesn't blow an obvious and easy call. And that happens in every game. There, every game there is an obvious and easy call that is wrong. What, what could I do Can to I get convince one you that game? it's difficult? Oh, I know that it's difficult, but they pay these guys to do it. They don't so, pay them oh, okay. a ton. Well, then they can just pick other jobs then. I don't know what you want me to tell you. They, they chose to go out there and be the officials. Be good at your job. Of the, but but I guess what I'm saying. I mean, can I just show SEC up and suck of, it up here and you just keep paying me? Yeah, but with the whole SEC football official thing, among the 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 group of referees in college football, the SECs are the best. Okay, that's like saying, so. So what else between do you Afghanistan, want? Iran, and North Korea, which one's the best? Which one's the best American? But they just ally? did a study. If it amongst all sports, if it ranks favorably, then what are you comparing? It, it ranks to? favorably among the coaches. What are the coaches going to say? No, no, no. Oh, they that, suck. That, that's not. What? That, 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 there was like an independent deal across all sports. And who are they getting these opinions from? Did you listen to anything that he said today? He said it's from our. It's coming. The 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 coaches view them favorably. That's what I heard. Well, the coaches are. Yeah, but he also he also named off like seven other entities that they did in depth interviews with, and they all said, "Oh yeah, the SEC ref officials are good." Sports Talk Mississippi streaming online at supertalk.fm with you in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Hey, Dad, reading comprehension and listening comprehension when we come back. All right, here are the uh, messages on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395, 601-879-4395, C Spire, customer-inspired. Unless you've officiated, shut up. Okay. Okay. So uh, when this guy goes to the, re- the, the restaurant and his steak's overcooked, he just eats it because he's never been a chef. So what does he know? I bet he doesn't comment on politics either. 
give head coaches two judgment call challenges. Replay official makes the call based on specific penalty the head coach would like appealed, holding, P.I., running into, roughing the passer, etc. Um, that's from Caleb. Okay. Same strike zone for both teams. Let's see, Claude says you're officiating – should be to the quality that the team bias is not present. You can't get every call right, but it works better if you have to have the same strike zone for both teams. Dan and Charleston, best solution. The problem might be to turn college ball into a big flag football league. Oh. It's also a thankless job. Greg and Nettleton says, you guys are great. Love the show. Thanks, right, Greg. Thanks. There are two evidence. obvious and easy solutions to this. One, make SEC okay. officials full-time. Because they're not right now. They're regular dudes. That's why the, the the amount of pressure that is on an SEC ref that has a regular day job that can't just focus on being a good ref. Uh, I mean, there's an SEC official uh, that works down on the coast that we interviewed. Remember, Richard? Uh, a few mm-hmm. months ago. Works for Ingalls Shipbuilding. So he's building ships during the day and then flies out to an SEC game on Saturday. Well, and, NFL uh, officials aren't full-time say, mo- Most of the NFL officials are... Bivocational. They're changing that, though, aren't they, to where they're making the entire roster full-time? No. Only a certain percentage of them. Well, then make them all full-time. It's a huge league. It makes a lot of money. I think you could afford to do it full-time, and you probably should, and it would probably help the quality. It would help the quality. But don't you think it would limit your pool of officials? How much are you going to pay these guys? I don't know. I mean, give me a number. How much it now? cost? Yeah, I'd have to have a scale. I don't know what they're what making they now. now. I mean, you'll pay them 100000 a year? Oh. <laughs> How many officials do you need? What? Well, you got, that seems uh, a little eight, steep there. but Eight crews of 10 apiece. Uh, you got 80 guys. So you're going to spend $8 million bucks to do full-time officials? No, that seems a, a bit much. Well, but hold on now. You want the best, and you want these guys to give up their other careers. It seems it's worth it to me. Because it's it's a, it, I think it's worth it, too. But it's also, like, it's almost deserved in some ways because it's a thankless job. Like, there's no way they get any enjoyment. Like, man really nailed that holding call last week. I like, mean, look, don't... Ole Miss can take care of the officials for the first year. They gave up $8 million in revenue the last two seasons. That'll cover the first year of full-time officials at hundred k apiece. We just let you pay from every year. Well, and then maybe yeah, train sure. them in, uh, in basketball as well. So, so you have full-time football and basketball officials? I don't know. I just know that it, these guys – that work regular jobs like everybody else, and then having to go to Bryant-Denny Stadium to officiate Alabama and LSU. And if Jim, the father of three, who works in accounting, misses a call in a game that moves so fast it's hard to fathom, he gets his business exploited and his name's everywhere and he gets ripped apart all over the place when he was just an innocent guy trying to do a good job, but he does not have the resources himself to actually do the best job possible. It doesn't seem we're not setting them up for success. Odds are y'all's boy that missed the call in the NFC Championship game has got a day job. Probably so. Yeah. I mean, it's it's very recently that you've had full-time NFL officials. Yeah. And even some of the NFL officials that are quote-unquote full-time still have other jobs. Well, the other easy solution, by the way, is Sky Judge. That made so much sense, I can't believe they did it. Add one more official in the booth that can radio down to the guy on the field, hey, 
obvious missed call right here, drop a flag. It's the easiest solution. It's the cheapest solution. It holds everybody and accountable. And the reverse needs to happen, too. Hey, that's not a penalty. Pick the flag up. Perfect. I, I'm okay with that. And I think that's a far more realistic solution than let's take 80 guys, give them a $100,000 salary, in which case we're either completely changing their lifestyle because they weren't making anywhere close to that much, or on the opposite end of the spectrum, we are completely limiting somebody's ability to make a living because they were already making well, 300000 a year. They choose to these jobs. Nobody put a gun to their head and said, be a referee. Okay, uh, let, me, let me give you an example. Steve Shaw, okay. coordinator of officials. Yeah. One of the best white hats we've had in the SEC ever. Okay. Agree? Sure. If you limit his ability to – if he has to choose between being an official mm -hmm. or working the job that he worked in corporate America and was extremely successful, mm -hmm. you're never getting him as one of your best officials ever. Okay. Are you saying that nobody else could have done that job? Hey, man, you tell me they all suck. Then what's the point? Then but I just, gave you, I just gave you an example of one of the best that's ever worked. There right? you go. Well, screw it. Somebody else can do it. Somebody else. You can tell do me it. they're no good though. But when I the, tell you that this the guy guys was who are good. getting paid now aren't any good. They're no. They're not any good. My point is he was good, and now you're saying, well, he should have just picked to do one or the other. If he had been given a, if he's like, oh, you have to make a choice, he would have made a choice, and we would all have just lived with it. It's not life or death there. If he has to make a choice between making a set salary as an SEC football official or he can make a multiple of that doing a regular job. It's just like anybody else. That doesn't make sense, though, because that says, okay, we're going to throw out a guy that would be one of the best that we've ever had because he also has this job. That's the part that doesn't make sense. The part that doesn't make sense is officials consistently missing easy calls. That's the part that doesn't make sense. All right, these guys are they're the ones who have chosen this profession and they consistently week in and week out screw it up. But by study done that took a lot of money yeah, I got they the, are comparatively I got the, the quote best. here. Okay. The feedback from those interviewed and it says the what I've got here it says it was head coaches, coaches athletic directors among others indicates SEC officials are perceived to manage the, be the game better when compared to their peers. What that sentence says to me is, well, the Big 12 and Big 10 and the Pac-12 really suck. We just suck. I don't understand why you're... Because I go to the games every week and I watch the officials blow it every week. Why can you not understand that it's difficult and maybe it's not possible to not yeah, blow it on a weekend, week out. Then they have to find a yeah, solution yeah, but, for that. but hold on a second. You're mad at the guy that was at the top of his game in the NFC Championship game on an all-star crew, and, and he blew a call right. because part of it is a human element, and you blow calls. And there's no So if you just want to take all of them away, I mean, what, what is your solution? I don't have a solution. Then why are you so mad about because it? Because there's a problem. I don't have a solution for gun violence either, but there's a problem. So we need a solution. But is there actually a problem there with the refereeing? Because yes, I disagree. I don't think it's that bad. Well, I don't know what to tell you. I I, I think it's really bad. So you miss week in and week out at least one one, easy one call. big call gets missed in every single game, more or less, out of 180 plays. But if it's a that's big, half of one percent. If it's one big, but that's the, that's it's the seven tenths of a percent. Well, I mean, you're so, asking, so, so if you're, you're asking for perfection right? without offering a solution. Is it my job to come up with a solution? No, but you're just being irrational. I mean, my solution, the sky judge is a good idea. That's a good start to find, uh, put an extra pair of eyes on the field. 
you know, to allow coaches more leeway in what they challenge, that the ability to challenge penalties could be allowed, the ability to challenge non-calls could be allowed. There's all sorts of easy fixes for this. Are you also going to complain about slowing the game down to go to the I replay booth? No, I don't care about going the, the slowdown on the replay booth. I, if we're getting I think if things, if we're getting things right. Now, if it's if it's one of those things where it's taking you know forever, you can. That's the other thing that bothers me a lot of times about replay is. There are replays that take four or five minutes that you can look at at one time and say, okay, no, that, that's got to change that. And I don't know what they're looking at. And maybe this SEC officiating Twitter feed is going to give us some insight into what they're looking at up there. Um, do you want to work as an official for like a Jamboree event? No. Okay, I can make that happen. I don't want to be an well, official. I just wonder if that perspective would help you in the way you look at the job they do. I, I don't want to do their job. I don't care about their You'd rather just sit back and complain about how they're well, terrible I, at their that's job. That's what I do for coaches and players, isn't it? I just say, well, Moorhead screwed this up. I don't want to be a football coach either. <laughs> that's my job. I'd to love to be a fired football coach. Yeah, it's fair enough. Uh, especially one at the uh, Power 5 level with one of those no-offset language <laughs> contracts. Yeah. That would be I would good. mind Gus Malzahn's contract. Uh, here we go. Gavin and Starkville. Officials are part of the game. Players make mistakes. Coaches make mistakes. Officials make mistakes. Play on it will be okay. And get rid of all replay. It will still be okay. There have been times I've been on, on board with that. Like, replay is so bad and they're missing so many things there that I'm just like, look, let's just go back to the before that. Because what difference does it make if we're not getting it right? Yeah. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming online at supertalk.fm. A Supertalk Mississippi media production.